everyone, and welcome to Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds, a weekly rewatch podcast for TV shows, movies, and who knows, perhaps answering the long-awaited question, will Loki lose all of his skin? My name's Mike Hilty. And I'm Nick Farrow. How you doing today, Nick? I'm doing better. The cough is still here, so sorry about that in <laughs> advance, but... Uh... Just... <laughs> Stop making me laugh. This cough is apparently our new Christmas gift that we're going to have for the rest of the year. But otherwise, it's been a pretty all right week. It feels like forever since we recorded last, even though it's only been a week. It's yeah. been just a long, long, long week of work. But uh, the good news was the week ended on a high. Uh, we had the Loki finale. We had the Marvels. And uh, we were treated to a whole bunch of brand new movie trailers and even some TV. I wanted to know, which ones have you seen and what was your favorite? So the the main ones that I've seen so far, there's five in particular. So my number five would be Masters of the Air, the one for Apple. That is pretty much their extension of the Pacific and Band of Brothers, except it's or their the Air Force during World War II. It's produced by the same team that did the Pacific and Band of Brothers, so I'm excited. Number four would probably have to be The Last Airbender. So I just watched Avatar The Last Airbender this year, because in oh. February it celebrated like a 30th or, 30, or 20th anniversary or something like that. So I had never seen it. What did you think? It's now one of my favorite shows of all time. Like, right that's it's so amazing good. it's so good so the live action one i'm cautiously optimistic about it because netflix knocked it out of the park with one piece but there's also some slight concern the creators were very involved until they were not yeah that's, and that's that's that's, that's my big concern because you know when you have a beloved property and you have the creators that didn't want to be involved anymore, that is yeah. probably a red flag. I just wish that we knew more. Why did they did they leave? Because they were like, well, you guys are just doing a shot for shot remake. And we don't really think that we need to be here for that. If that's the case, then I don't know if I would really be upset with them mm -hmm. for leaving, nor would I be disappointed to watch the show. Like, yes, I'm very big into, you know, do something new if you have something new to do. But also, I'm very big into, you know, don't we want to see it live action like mm -hmm. as it is. We don't want you to change it. That's why I really don't like the Harry Potter movies very much, because they just change too much. Mm -hmm. And they lost a lot of the story in the changes. I don't want to see that happen again with Airbender, because I say again, because yeah. it already happened once. That's rough, buddy. Yes, I agree with all of that. I did hear, I believe, that it was due to creative differences. So no. I don't know what that means, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. It um, looks beautiful, though. It does. We'll see. My number three is Inside Out 2. The reason why it's number three and not number four is because I love the first Inside Out movie. It mm. is my favorite Pixar movie. And oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I I loved it. I thought they swung for the fences with it and it worked. I don't know how this is going to work because where did all of these other emotions come from? Hello. Oh my gosh, I'm anxiety. And is I, Riley the first one to get all of these emotions? I have a theory. She's going through puberty and all of these new emotions are offsets 
of the the core emotions. So what if during puberty, these new emotions show up and then as one matures, the new emotions merge back together with their core emotions, which would then explain why the adults only have the core emotions in the first movie. Because that's bugging me hardcore. How can you have new emotions? We've already established that the parents don't have these other emotions either. Oh my gosh, I'm anxiety. So everyone had the same five emotions. Or maybe this is a situation where secretly they're all offshoots of joy. It's one of those things kind of similar to the lesson in the first one is that you cannot have joy without having sadness. That's true. So, but, but then aren't they, they just that. telling the same story again? And then like, I don't know. I want to, I trust right. Pete doctor is running this one. So we'll see about that. This was surprising to me because I thought this was going to be number one, but my number two is the ghostbusters. Mm, the second mm, ghostbusters yes. one. It doesn't give you a whole lot. I don't know where this is going to go. I like the premise, a frozen yeah. ghost. I it's guess. interesting. I, but that's just it. That was the thing that was, I'm like, is it a ghost or is it like, because the trailer felt more sci-fi than supernatural. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what's throwing me. I love the new cast members they've announced. I love the look. I love the old cast members that are coming back, both old, old and new old. Yeah. There's something about that trailer that makes me go. Who are you going to call? Hmm. I don't know. Shockingly. My the one that I'm most excited about is the Mean Girls musical. Me I too. am so excited about that because I don't think I've ever told you this. Every Wednesday I wear pink. Every single Wednesday. I didn't know that because we typically don't record on Wednesdays. We typically don't. But every Wednesday for the last like maybe about five years, I wear pink for that. And it is at my current job, it is finally starting to catch on. More and more people are starting to wear pink for the, the movie from like 20 years ago. Oh, sh- why? Why would you say something so hurtful? Because that is what my friend said. And I'm just here to share the joy that I felt when she told me that as well. I think the reason Mean Girls is my favorite trailer also, because Tina Fey and Tim Meadows are coming back for it. It's not just a brand new cast. It almost feels like they're going to do something quirky with it and special and it's coming out in february it's not even like that far of a wait so like i don't know just i didn't know it was coming i am excited about it and i know that they've had a musical on broadway i heard it was good but i resigned myself that i'm never gonna get to see it so oh well who cares but now i can and i'm very excited yes i'm i'm excited i'm also excited for some of the new cast members as well because the the girl who plays regina george uh, she is in the Sex Lives of College Girls, and she's fantastic. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. So those are my my top ones. What about you? What are some of the ones that you saw that you were well, excited Well, those about? are all on my list as well. Uh, there were two more that I was very excited about, and the one is Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. I love the Apes trilogy. It is, to me, a top 10 best trilogies of all times situation. And the new one looks stunning. I'm really looking forward to that one. And then the other one is a movie that originally I hadn't even planned on watching the trailer. 
a buddy told me about this and I was sold from these two names alone. He goes, there's a movie coming out about a stunt guy. It's starring Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt. And I said, sold. (laughs) I don't need to watch anything. I am going to see that movie opening night. This is a PSA announcement. What up, everyone? I have an important message for all you lower deckers out there. Do not watch this trailer. It's the whole damn movie in the trailer. I, <laughs> it's like Netflix produced this movie, apparently, because that's Netflix's favorite thing to do is just give you a four minute trailer that literally goes plot by plot point till the end. I was really annoyed because I'm like, well, that's more information that I would have wanted to know going into the movie. Oh, well, it looks fantastic. It looks super funny, action packed. I don't want to say anything else about it because the trailer spoiled way too much and it just looks wacky and zany so I, i'm very much excited for that nice good good times to be had by all agreed well what do you say do you want to have a good time with uh our final episode of loki <laughs> season two <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah let's uh let's do it uh this week we'll be watching season two episode six glorious purpose upon a time there was a lovely princess you must be truly desperate to come to me for help so we start with the previously on clip that takes us all the way back to the original avengers movie where that we're reminded that loki is burdened with glorious purpose hey that's the title of this that's the that's the, they said the title of the thing <laughs> We'll have plenty of thoughts on this because (laughs) not only the title of the season finale, but also the title of the first episode, too. So it is a nice bookend. Was it the first episode's title also? I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, You mean of season one, right? Yeah. How funny would that be? Glorious purpose. Episode episode one one and two. No, um, I forgot. And I actually think that that's really bad. Like, (laughs) come on. That's not. You can't name two of your episodes in a single show the same thing. Good job, Marvel. Off to a great start. But so we go through season two's greatest hits and uh, get what feels like 30 minutes of Marvel logos going in reverse. Like an idiot, I thought we just get the Marvel Studios design and that's it. Yeah, no. When it comes to Marvel logos, they just can't help themselves. Although I will say. 800 hours of logos aside, I do want to give them credit where it's due. This Loki theme from start to finish is absolute. Every day since it came out, I've been looking on iTunes to see if I can download, but they have not yet released part two for the season. I love this song. The music Mm -hmm. by Natalie Holt is just so fire. She is amazing. When are we going to see her composing something next? I agree with this. And I was like, oh, the music in this is great. Logo leads into the temporal loom on the verge of failure again, where we left off at the end of episode four. Well, four. Episode four. And four slash five. Yeah. (laughs) They both end end very similarly. (laughs) Proving my point from last week that episode five was worthless and did not matter because... They completely skipped back to it. They're like, yeah, no, no, no. Back to four. Do it again. Again. So at the end of episode four, just as Timely is saying, time to be brave. 
Nothing has changed. It still results in timely marinara, and the temporal radiation is just too high. Loki asked Obi what they could have done differently, and Obi simply replies, we took too long. Cue 70s disco version of funky Beethoven's fifth. Faster. We reverse back to Obi giving timely instructions when Loki time slips back into his body and takes over from Obi only much quicker. Get in, get suited up, get down the gangway as fast as you can. Load the multiplier, hit the green button, launch it, get back, okay? This is a very funny bit and montage of Loki trying so many different ways to enact the plan in a quicker manner. Loki then realizes that the answer is not faster, but earlier. We cut to timely Renslayer, Brad and Miss Minutes in the war room where Loki barges in and provides some rapid fire therapy Miss Minutes way. They all stare at him blankly before smash cutting to Casey Ferd and Loki dragging timely to the loom room. They are just not having any luck though. Multiple different variations of them getting to the loom room earlier and faster and they are still not able to get Timely out the door before it's pasta time. Mamma mia! <laughs> <laughs> again and again and again, Loki is just failing. We cut to even earlier in episode four when Timely and Obi first meet. Loki is really rushing the scene along, and I gotta say, if he had done this throughout the whole season, I'd have been much more forgiving. <laughs> Also, also, I both like and dislike how this controlled Groundhog's Day scenario is telling me as an audience member that everything that has come before the finale really was all in vain, that the only way to save the day is to never have done any of this in the first place. It's almost like the show is making fun of me directly to my face. See, I didn't take it that way. I took it as though this is part of the journey that Loki has to go on. And in order for Loki to achieve what he ultimately achieves at the end of this episode, he needs to go through some of these hoops. That's yeah. where I'm torn because every time I think, ah, they screwed up. I'm like, but this one scene is so pivotal to his art. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you get rid of that scene? Or this one scene in episode two, or that one scene in episode five. Like, they're so pivotal to his arc as a character to where he ends up at the end of this episode. I have a feeling we're going to have a decent conversation about this after this is all done when we kind of give our season wrap up for this. Because I gotta say, like, I don't understand the people who think that this is the best thing that Marvel has put out. Like, right? I, what are we not seeing? It's like... What are you seeing that we don't? Realistically, I like a lot of what's in this episode. In fact, this scene, as well as the last scene with the funky music, I really like Loki's mannerisms throughout both of those scenes. He's so manic. Tom Hiddleston is carrying this entire episode on his back like a champ. He is firing on all cylinders, is hilarious when he needs to be, is dramatic when he needs to be, is gut-punching when he needs to be. And every single scene sings because of how well he does it. Honestly, this scene, most of all, is probably the best example of the ensemble having an amazing time. Like, you could just tell, like, Obi and Timely quickly meet and greet each other, just like in episode four, only it's much faster because Loki is, like, hurrying them along. And then he pulls off the, the sheet on the, the loom model that Obi didn't have enough time to paint. And he's just, but it's wonderful. I love it. It's perfect. You don't need to change the thing. Let's move on. And mm -hmm. then you could see like Victor Timely's like trying to interject things here and there. And he's just not getting anything out. 
and like Loki goes and grabs the thing out of his bag. And he's like, wizard, wizard. <laughs> like, and like everybody is just singing in this scene is ter- in terms of acting and doing what they need to do, doing little things in the background. Like I watched the scene like four or five times, just writing the script out. And as I'm doing it, I'm just seeing new things every single time. And this is exactly what I feel like the entire season was missing. If there were five more episodes of this exact kind of energy, I would have been probably a little bit more forgiving of it. This scene, especially, it's so well done. It's just weird because we spend the entire first episode talking about ways to suppress Loki's time slipping. And I thought that's where I was. Uh, this this is where I'm struggling with this the most is that why, why did he come spend, back? That That is even yada yada over. It's not glossed over or anything like that. Does it come? Does it come back because the loom is gone? Like what? I want to put a pin in this because that is probably the number one most convincing piece of evidence to my argument that we will get into later when we talk about the full season. I'm glad you said it now because definitely going to come back up. Okay. I have, I have thought. All right. So after explaining the quick, quick version of the plan to everyone, OB is still not sure it will work. So Loki asks him, how long will it take for Loki to learn everything OB and Timely know about mechanics, physics, and engineering. They are not sure where he's going with this, but they tell him there's just no time. Loki insists he's a god and a fast learner. How long? Decades. Centuries. So then we cut to a title card that says centuries later. When I first saw that, the only thing that pops in my head is there have been a lot of theories about that with like Groundhog Day. Like, Mm-hmm. How long was he in in that? Before? How long was he in the loop? It had to have been a, like a certain number of thousands of years. We could have been trapped here for hours, days, maybe years. To have perfected the number of things that he perfected. That is crazy. Mechanics, Mechanics engineering, and-, and physics. Physics is probably the one that took the long <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. The gang is now quickly rushed into the loom room as Casey Ferd is trying to figure out how Loki is suddenly so good at engineering, suggesting that Obi should test the throughput multiplier first. Loki tells him, no need, it's perfect. They run over to the head scanner and Loki shows Timely how it works and has him put his head in it. He then gives Timely the very, very, very fast version. Whatever you do, do not set the multiplier down. I will roll off the gangway. As Timely is getting his suit on, Loki very quickly throws a bunch of techno babble at Caseyford and Obi, explaining how everything is going to work. They are going to make the rings of the loom bigger so it can accommodate for more branches. Mobius, who is also in this episode, regardless of the writer's forgetting, starts to tease Obi that Loki is coming for his job and Loki finishes his sentence for him. They really have failed at this millions of times. Mobius, incredibly weirded out, asks Loki, what the hell? And Loki just tells him, trust me. If Tom Hiddleston says, trust me, be like, yes, sir. I I trust him. Absolutely. Captain, my captain. Timely is now ready, but is concerned that this all feels a bit rushed. Loki tells him, only for you, remember, if you stop, you die. Timely starts down the gangway and is not turning into any kind of pasta. Not spaghetti, not linguine, not even penne. He's just doing pretty good. Loki and team are watching from the window as Loki talks to Timely through the microphone. Are you brave? You're being so brave. 
The radiation is bad, but Timely is able to make his way slow and steady. He finally makes it. When he gets there, he kneels to take a second and starts to put the multiplier down. Do not put the multiplier down. It will roll off the gangway. I want to know how many times that he put the multiplier down and it rolled off the gangway. A dozen, a hundred. It's impossible to tell. For it to happen at the very end as right. well, that's probably the part that stings the most. I love Hiddleston all through this scene as he's talking into the microphone very quietly. You're doing great. You're doing great. Just keep going. No, don't do that. Don't do not do that. Do Yes, do that. <laughs> he's so funny. <laughs> I want to see the outtakes where Hiddleston just tries a couple things. Classically trained Shakespearean thespian. He did that in one take. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, they actually did this entire first scene as a one shot and they digitally added in the cuts. Mm-hmm. 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 He recovers and inserts the multiplier into the launcher and fires. The throughput multiplier hits the loom directly and something starts to happen. Loki calls Timely back and is starting to celebrate. It's going to work this time. Timely makes it back and they all start cheering. They did it. It's working until it's not. Unfortunately for Loki, it may have been centuries for him, but it's only been 14 minutes for us, which means there's still half an hour left of the show. OB says that the readings are still all off. It turns out that they didn't take infinity into consideration in terms of scaling. Amateurs. Right. Uh, the, the, the multiverse is infinite. There are too many branches. And there always will be too many branches. Scaling for infinity is like trying to divide by zero. Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies. And you are sad that you have no friends. Loki realizes that the loom will always fail. Sylvie then realized that as soon as the timelines start branching, that it was doomed to happen. As everyone is standing at the window, watching the loom overload and start to once again explode, wiping out the TVA with it, Loki realizes that there is only one place left to go in order to fix everything. We then cut to Sylvie taking a slice at He Who Remains and Loki getting in her way. That's right. We are back in the season one finale where Loki time slips back into his past self and tries to once again reason with Sylvie as why they should not kill he who remains. He tries to tell her what's been happening. He tries to convince her that everything has just been getting worse. I know this sounds strange. I've seen it. I know it. Sylvie is not able to believe him, though. She still thinks that he's been seduced by a throne. The last thing I want is a throne. This is the moment right here that I hope everyone was paying attention to, because when we get to the end... That's the holy shit moment. For me, when he said that, that was like, oh my God, they did it. They actually did it. You crazy son of a bitch, you're dead. When Loki says that he doesn't want a throne, this is the first time he's ever said it on screen, and it's true. Mm -hmm. He's he's changed for the better. This This is the culmination of his arc. Although we haven't quite gotten there yet in the episode, but this is the this is the first step into where we end up at the end of the episode and it's just it's what makes this episode so great i agree hiddleston just sells it it is in this episode 
I am really starting to think that Hiddleston really is the best Marvel has. We'll get to it a little bit with the end, where it leads. It's good stuff. But in addition to Hiddleston being the best, he is just giving it his all. So Sylvie tells him that if Loki wants her to stop, he'll have to kill her. We then get another montage of Loki and Sylvie fighting over and over and over again. Every time Sylvie says, you'll have to kill me. And every time Loki doesn't, he who remains gets stabbed. Finally, after what I can only assume is hundreds of, if not thousands of times. A dozen, a hundred. It's impossible to tell. Loki looks at he who remains and asks, why don't you ever fight back? This sparks he who remains to grab his little time doohickey and pauses Sylvie. He who remains asks Loki, what, you haven't figured out how to stop time all by yourself yet? It's almost like this is what he's been waiting for. He asks Loki, how many times has it been for you? This isn't the first time we've had this conversation. Loki asks, how did you know? And he who remains admits that he knows about the time slipping and in a classic Loki season two writer fashion, that is all the explanation we will get. (laughs) He who remains just quote unquote gave him the ability. Fine. Sure. Yeah. That makes, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Let's let's do that. Thanks guys. That's fine. We'll yeah. Just just don't worry about it. Nerd. Go ahead and accept it. Sheep. Seriously. Like it's one of the things that just drives me nuts. But whatever, we'll get to it later. So he he who remains admits to Loki his quote-unquote evil plan. He wasn't just going to sit back and let Sylvie kill him. He needed Loki to think that there was a way to save the day. But he could tell this is a lot for Loki to take in. I get it. So why don't you just go through this a couple thousand more times, get your bearings, and then you you just let me know, okay, when you're ready to have a conversation. He who remains unfreezes Sylvie, but before she can act, Loki freezes her himself by raising his finger. Loki asks he who remains, and what makes you think this is the first time we've had this conversation? You mean we could have come into this room, sat at this table, and had this conversation a dozen times already? I'm not a huge fan of the fact that we have to be told. It's like, oh, what makes you think this is the first conversation? Like, how, how are we supposed to know? That yeah, this this isn't so a little bit of, hey, you know, maybe give some indication. This is like an show. edge of tomorrow moment where I I appreciate that Tom Cruise tells the general that he's had this conversation with him before. But also I got to see the them screwing up a couple times to get there mm-hmm. first. Like th- they didn't give us that here. We didn't yeah. see him having the conversation or they could have even shown us like almost like a montage of him talking to he who remains. But I can understand with the way the time management of this season, I I'm not really surprised that Mm -hmm. we didn't get more, but kind of works as it is. You don't want to break up this conversation. I also really want to know how long this took. We could have been trapped here for hours, days, maybe years. They gave us a centuries later thing for the loom did it also take him centuries to figure this out or did it take him long or quicker because this doesn't really have anything to do with engineering or physics or anything Mm -hmm. like that this is just a simple i just need to think a little bit differently from this and did did he at any point leave this 
because he could time slipped anywhere. Did he ever go back and try and do the loom again? All right, I'm just getting nowhere fighting Sylvie. Let's go try the loom a few more times. The assumption is no, I guess, but like mm-hmm. it could have. I, I don't know. I I feel like this could have been an entire se- episode five. Like, yeah, him going through all of these scenarios, I can see where it could get repetitive and not be as interesting. But like, I almost feel like you could work in everything you needed to work in. Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm literally just champing at the bit to talk about my big theory as to what happened with this season. So, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Go ahead. He who remains is very impressed. He tells Loki that between him and Sylvie, Loki's his favorite. He who remains already aware of the problems they've been having with the loom and their scaling explains that the temporal loom is just a failsafe. It was designed to delete the extra branches automatically and that the destruction of the TVA is just collateral damage. It's one job is to protect the sacred timeline. He needed Loki to understand that he only has two options. Let Sylvie kill he who remains and the TVA go boom or work with he who remains to keep the status quo, protect the TVA and the sacred timeline. That's it. No other solutions. Loki just sits there. And then in an amazing moment of the show, voicing my own feelings of the last four episodes, Loki says, what a waste of time. (laughs) He who remains continues. The Kang variants are out there and there's nothing Loki can do to stop them. I won't stop matter never told me before i know champ loki realizes that he who remains is right but he is the god of mischief and breaking the rules is his whole thing so he who remains gave him two options but he can make a third he just needs to figure out what that third option is to start he's going to let the loom explode i feel like this kind of takes he who remains a little off guard Because he then kind of tries to double down and is like, no, that's not an option. You can't do that. Because if you do that, it'll just lead to another multiversal war where everything is eventually destroyed, including the sacred timeline. He tells Loki that every moment of peace that he's ever experienced was because he who remains was there to keep watch. Loki tells him he understands and that he'll find another way. He who remains then turns Sylvie back on and once more offers Loki his ultimatum. Let Sylvie kill him, or kill Sylvie, and help he who remains save what they can. I feel like this scene is proof. This is why you keep Jonathan Majors around. Because I thought he did, I thought this was fantastic. The Victor Timely stuff does not work for me. It just doesn't. Like, there were some scenes when he's not talking so slow and he's semi-normal, I guess. Like this episode, I think, was the only episode where Timely worked because he was a background character just trying to interject a few things. That was it. I thought that Jonathan Majors was awesome in this part. And him and Hiddleston had some great back and forth between them. And this is why I don't think Marvel should abandon course just yet. I mean, there's only one reason to abandon course and the verdict will be given soon. Yeah. (laughs) So, but this just means also is that I don't think they should abandon course. If Marvel wants to fire him, then fire him. Like that's, that's different. 
I think at that point you recast him. If there is a perfect way that you could spin this, oh, this is a variant. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Well, I honestly think the variant thing doesn't play anymore because of that end credit scene for Ant-Man. Because it's like, well, we actually just saw a million variants and they all have his face. Not, I, not, I, not all of them. They, they could say like, oh, that's one half. And then they have the second like, half. Of, they look like this other it's, guy. It's bullshit, but it's, it's yeah. a way to explain it away. On this line of thinking, I heard a theory of what they could do. And I actually kind of like it. If they don't stick with Kang, this... They could kind of rewrite it to be that the outcome of this episode resolves the Kang problem. TVA is taking care of him. No longer an issue. Like, Ooh. sure, he might pop up from time to time. It would be a one-off. Everything's fine. Like, they kind of have an out if they want it. I don't want them to take it, but they have that out. And it wouldn't necessarily not make sense. It would just be frustrating for everyone who's been sitting here going, we're waiting when are we gonna get more of this but we then cut to season one episode one where mobius is interrogating loki loki time slips into his past self and tells mobius he knows why he's here he tells mobius that he wants to know what makes loki tick why he does what he does burden with glorious purpose my life is a waste of time loki tells him i need your help how do you choose who lives and who dies Mobius tells him that it's not a matter of choosing, it's simply preserving the proper flow of time. The timekeepers do the choosing. Loki then asks, what comfort is that? Mobius tells him, You're not going to find comfort at the TVA. Bummer, but it's also true. Then he tells Loki a story about how two hunters went out on assignment to prune a variant that would be responsible for 5,000 deaths not approved by the sacred timeline. But when he got there, it was just an eight-year-old boy playing on the dock with his brother. And the hunter, who had never once hesitated to do his job, hesitated this time. That hesitation led to an escalating situation. His partner had to step in and prune the kid, but by that point, things had spiraled out of control, requiring the intervention of more hunters. A couple hunters were killed, all because he had hesitated and lost sight of the big picture. Most purpose is more burden than glory. Trust me, you never want to be the guy who avoids it because you can't live with Loki then asks, how do you live with it? And Mobius replies, scar tissue. Loki then asks what happened to his partner, and Mobius indicates that his partner was Renslayer. She knew that the hard thing to do was the thing that had to be done. There's no comfort. Just choose your burden. Uh, Loki thanks Mobius, then stands up and offers his hand to shake. Mobius stands and shakes Loki's hand, and then this universe starts to disintegrate around Loki. I, this I is love a it. rough scene. That I think could have been so much better had at some point between episode one and now we had been shown this story with no context. Like make it an opening scene and you could even recast younger actors if you want to just to hide who it actually is. Because I have a theory that the two boys were Loki and Thor. And he was there to prune a Loki variant. Because why? Would, what would have escalated between two kids playing that would have resulted in deaths unless those two kids playing had powers? Possible. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I'm just, and now I'm just kind of wishing for the scene that never was that would have then shown us the conflict with inside of Mobius. And it could have given us another puzzle piece as to why Mobius might have had a soft spot for Loki. 
and well, would have shown us the ruthlessness of Renslayer. I, I do agree with you. I think that scene would have been good. You can't make them younger versions of themselves because the TV, there's no time oh, at the TV. Okay, that's true. Okay, fine. So, but you, you could put helmets on them so you don't necessarily yes. know it's them. Like, I, yes. I just think there's a way to do it where you could kind of show the audience what happened. And then when Mobius tells this story, you have the realization, oh, it was him and her. That would have been a fun thing to speculate about. And go, oh, I wonder who that was. What was going on there? I, yes, I do agree with that. I'll explain a little bit more once, because I, I think this probably has a little bit more to do with your theory. I think this scene would have worked if they had kind of reshifted some things, but we'll we'll get to that soon enough. So I still liked this scene, if not for, it's a great callback to the first episode. And a great way just to remind everybody, the Loki then is not the Loki now. That's a great way to show character growth. That's a way to show just even how much Mobius has grown as well, because I feel like who he was then is not who he is now either. But I also, I would love to watch more Mobius and Loki. Give me Oh, I 100% agree. These two are it, great together. And this scene is everything you said. It is absolutely a very good scene. Loki then time slips back to OB slash AD's lab in the branch from episode five, just as everyone is turning to spaghetti. He then freezes time so he can talk with Sylvie. He explains that the loom was a failsafe designed to protect the sacred timeline and nothing else. Sylvie, not surprised, pieces it together. None of this happens if she doesn't kill he who remains in the first place and Loki has to kill her. I'm not giving you my blessing if that's what you're waiting for. Loki isn't there to kill her. He wants to know what he should do. It's the sacred timeline or nothing. Sylvie asks, do you really want to be the god that takes away everyone's free will? What good is free will if everyone is dead? Good question. It's fair. He's got a point. Sylvie retorts, saying that all he's doing is replacing one nightmare with another. She's lived through enough apocalypses to know that sometimes it's okay to destroy something. But she's only partially correct. Loki then completes her thought. It's okay to destroy something if there's a hope that you can replace that thing with something better. And with that, he finally knows what he has to do. He lets time continue and leaves the branch, allowing it to be destroyed. Loki arrives back at the loom room just as Timely is taking his head out of the head scanner, unlocking the blast doors. The camera pans around him slowly to reveal all of his friends to him. He looks at them all before resigning himself to what he knows he has to do. He then walks down the stairs to the loom entrance and locks everyone else out. As they try to plead with him to come back, he turns to tell them, I know what kind of god I need to be. He then uses his magic to open the door and starts down the gangway. His TVA clothes disintegrate away, revealing his Asgardian clothing. As his horned crown grows to epic proportions, he uses his powers to destroy the loom, sending branches everywhere. Loki then starts to grab the dying branches and uses his newly discovered enchanting powers he learned from Sylvie to bring them back to life. He sees the light appear where the loom used to be. And before he starts ascending the staircase that has formed leading to the light, he turns to take one last look at his friends who are still watching from the loom room. He starts to make his way up the stairs and the camera lingers on his new kicks, a very sensible pair of loafers without socks in a way that only Loki could pull off. 
and he starts grabbing more and more branches as he makes his way through the strands of time. His cape has now become connected to the branches as well. Everything, Every time he touches one, it glows to life with a green aura. He gets closer to the top. He sees the thing that he once strived for and now dreads, a throne. But he is determined. Grabbing more and more branches, he struggles his way towards the throne, turns and sits on it. As he breathes new life into all the dying timelines, we zoom out to see the new multiverse under his protection looks like a giant tree. Loki, the former god of mischief, has resigned himself to no longer live a selfish existence. He is now the god of time and the multiverse, doomed to sit and protect the branching timelines for all time, always. I understood that reference. This scene, man. I I loved everything about this scene. And I think this is one moment where I'm going to give the writers just a little bit of credit for this. Oh, here we go. The part where he is walking down and he says, I could have done it, Father. I could have done it. For you. That's a direct lift from Thor. I thought that was just a great way to say this was the beginning of his journey and to cap that off with that, even though maybe a small part of me thinks that they might have unintentionally done it. I think it was very much intentional. And here's where I'm going to disagree with you for giving credit to this batch of writers. I think, just a spoiler for later, this episode was written by the original creative team who wrote season one, and Disney Plus made them stretch it to add six more episodes. I think they already had this episode fully written, and their ending was fully written to completely close off the show and they were then told actually we need you to write six five more episodes because we need two seasons not one season and that's why the creative differences which caused the original creative team to leave happened i'm almost positive yeah yeah that's true because this this whole scene is such a departure from this season it is 100 exactly what season one was leading to and yet nothing like what we've gotten the last five weeks. It was beautiful. This one moment of Loki walking out, going up, sitting on the throne. Oh my God, that probably one of my favorite things the MCU has ever done. And the gall to do it, to a character that everyone loves, how they turned this character whose goal was glory and essentially turned him into a heroic, tragic figure. Yep. If you had told me, when I'm watching Endgame, that the dude that picks up the Tesseract and zips away and screws up their plans would be this dude, I would have told you you were crazy. Like, there's no way they could get me to believe that. Not only that, if you go even further back, if you were to tell me the first time I saw the Avengers that this guy, this fucking guy, language, who throws throws Iron Man out the window, who gets the crap kicked out of him by the Hulk, that's the guy that's going to save the multiverse? kills Bill Coulson. Oh, is that the one thing that's going to cause Loki to never be redeemed, ever? (laughs) I don't know. I think he just did. I think Loki just redeemed himself for killing Phil Coulson, even though he may not or may not have been brought back to life, depending on what universe you live in. I, I guess so. Everything about this from... 
just the the way it looks to the staging to Tom Hiddleston to even those ridiculously large Loki horns. Oh, just they beautiful. They were so awesome. And his and outfit, his outfit with just the way that it looked. This is a brand new Loki outfit, but it's so simple and drab and not ornate and beautiful like he always wears. Like he is always looking pristine. And the fact that he's wearing just like a simple cloak and like it's got a big old neck in the front. Like I don't know how to describe it. It just it looks so simple and humble. I I loved everything about it. All right, on to the home stretch. We are shown a title card that says after. First of all, I also am going to push back a little bit about me giving credit to the writers. Did I say season two writers? You didn't no. say which no. writers. Fine. I did not say which writers. You implied it, though. <laughs> um, Sure, yes. Because saying after like this, I feel like that's season two writing. This whole epilogue, this whole epilogue feels like season two writing. So we're shown a title card that says after and opens with B-15 walking through the TVA, now once again filled with people working diligently. She passes a new TVA poster on the wall of two people watering and tending a tree with a message of let's grow together, nurture our nature for a stable future. She checks in with OB and Casey Ferd, who are getting Miss Minutes back online. Couldn't have been too long after all of this all of that happened because Miss Minutes is still down. And also, why would you want Miss Minutes back? Explain <laughs> to me why you would want Miss Minutes back after this. Is, is this the promise that Loki has given to everybody? It's like, if if I can change, then you can change. You can change. Then, then everyone can change. change. My guess is the hubris of man will always underestimate the power of AI. And it is inevitable for us to be doomed by it. Very profound and bleak. I like it. Obi then finishes the thought, uh, are you sure she won't kill us all? Uh, Rutherford, is this guy going to murder us? He just shrugs. Uh, she then heads over to see Mobius and asks if he's okay. He deflects by saying that he uh, has the report of all the known He Who Remains variants. Uh, they all seem to be unaware of the TVA's presence and aren't causing any trouble, except for one who got out of hand on Universe 616 adjacent. But it looks like they handled it themselves. Ant-Man reference. Yeah, way to <laughs> connect Ant-Man. To, to tip my cards a little bit, I feel like the reason why Marvel asked them for a second season of Loki is just so that they can find a way to incorporate Ant-Man into the greater MCU. B-15 heads to the war room and Mobius says he'll meet her there and pick up a file of his own information in it. He meets B-15 in front of the Kang slash Multiversal War Memorial to tell her that he's retiring. No one's going to miss him. He has to go and see what he's been protecting for all of this time. B-15 tells him there are a few people who might miss him. And if he ever wants to come back, there's a seat for him. Before leaving, she asks if he's scared. And he says, yeah. Uh, we then see B-15, Casey Ferd, and that other lady whose name has once again escaped me with a smattering of others in the war room. Gamble. Was that it? I forgot and I didn't care to look it up. It is because the last time that I saw her, I had to look it up because 
I didn't remember who it was, and it couldn't have been Docs because Docs is in a box. Docs so. is in a box. So couldn't have been her. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> we cut over to Obi opening a box of brand new TVA handbooks, now in yellow. Built way too thin of a book. We cut to Victor Timely as a kid who looks at his window for no reason as no TVA book falls into the house and he continues on with his science thus negating the whole victor timeline narrative everything is awesome (laughs) time travel how does it work and then we cut to renslayer who wakes up in a place where all the prune things go just before she is devoured by Eliath. are we sure she's been devoured by Eliath? or i mean it roared at her right before cutting away so Right. I suppose we didn't see a body, but like, I really, you think there's going to be a Loki season three? I don't, but I don't think this is. Red Slayer might come back in other properties. Well, now in, in a movie or something, maybe she's the one that leads the Council of Kangs, leads that army into the C- in Secret Wars or something. Maybe she could be saved in the last minutes. That's true. I did. Uh, I did make an assumption that Elias got her. However, at the end of the day, this also doesn't change the fact that this is just a total waste of this oh, yeah. character. An actor. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Again, this... called it from episode one. They are wasting her and all of her potential. Yes. Um, look at that. That's one prediction I got right. Because I, I, t- I can tell you from this, we ain't getting Deadpool now. That was a that was a big old swing and a miss. Oh, yeah. For me. Did, did we put that one on on record? Yes. You, you didn't yes. cut that part out. That's. It's no, going in. I'll, I'll, I'll own it. It's fine. That's not just a swing and a miss. That is a swing. Let go of the bat, and it hits an old person. Kill the pitcher. That was pretty bad on my part. However, I feel like this ending is way better. And to stick it to Nick, no Brad. Who? Hope, <laughs> hope you didn't want to know what happened to Brad because who cares, nerd? Seriously, like I don't understand. They gave. Everyone else, like just a two second clip of Brad sitting in a cell or something. You did nothing and like it. Nothing. Gone. Cut out from the finale. No Brad. Uh, Not only did he get his own episode, he got his own episode where you named him your MVP. Because he was. Okay. He was. Okay. All right. Every clock is right twice a day. So good for you. But we end this epilogue outside of Mobius' house on the timeline where, from a distance, he could see himself playing out front with his two boys and his jet ski in the driveway. Sylvie comes up behind him, somehow, and tells him the yard could do with a bit of work. He tells her, never look, never know. She says it's weird without Loki around, and he agrees. She tells him she's off and asks him what uh, he's going to do. He says he's going to hang out here for a bit. As we pan out and Moby is staring at his home, the music comes back and we cut to the green glowing branches of the multiverse, which slowly part to reveal Loki's face, surrounded by glowing branches, staring resolutely. And I like to think he's watching Mobius happy for his friend. Uh, we cut to black and it's 972 Loki title cards to credits. Nick, did you like this episode? I will just say I I did like this episode. After rewatching it a couple times, even the beginning part grew on me. Although the first time I watched it, the beginning part annoyed me. 
because I'm like, what are we doing here? You guys are just, it's just over and over and over again. Like, I feel like you're rushing because you wasted f- four other episodes. But it really does play very funny and very well. Everyone's having a great time. It really is a great episode. Start to Loki sitting on the throne. I really don't like this epilogue. Oh, I, no. I just, no. I feel like it was such a drop ball because to give the epilogue to Mobius when they completely dropped his entire story. Are we supposed to just accept that he was just some guy on the timeline who had two kids and left because he was a ver- he was a variant that was going to get pruned, so they turned him into the... Is that what we're supposed to assume based on what we've been given? And if so, why is this scene in any way supposed to be emotional or, like, touching or poignant or anything? Like... I truly loved how they ended with Loki. Like, it really did feel like he was watching Mobius and happy that his friend is now getting to, like, live a life. But, like, as an audience member, I don't know anything about Mobius still. Because the show failed to, in any way, spend time with him. They asked their questions in Season 1, and I was hoping to get answers in Season 2. And the only answer they gave me was in Episode 5, which was a branched timeline that didn't seem to matter. And it was just a really lackluster answer to the question. I think it ultimately feels like Mobius got done a little dirty. Like, I feel like Owen Wilson got left behind. If you think about it, the last time we spent with Mobius, the character we know, was two weeks ago in Episode 4. The last time we got any real interaction with him and Loki was episode three. And I, and I remember in episode four, I had even mentioned, like, I really hope we see some backstory. I just I was so unsatisfied with what they gave us in five, because inevitably those weren't their backstories. Those were variants that eventually just turned to spaghetti, get erased and then resets back to where we were in four anyway. So like it ultimately felt hollow and just disappointing. And I really was hoping to see more from Mobius as a character. I had hoped to start this out with positives, but I guess I went to negative. <laughs> I mean, I, I already said most of what I loved about the episode. This episode is what we've been missing from the entire season in my from my perspective. I love the Groundhog's Day stuff. I love Loki talking to Timely, the he who remains scene. When it all boils down to it, this episode is the perfect culmination of Loki's arc from season one. I love how Loki's ending is the throne that he wanted that he no longer wants but takes because he has to it makes him both heroic and tragic and i can't wait to see him again when in my bold prediction he will appear in either avengers kang or secret wars they will inevitably end up at his throne see him there and he will have to explain what we as audience members probably already know. But he will come back. This throne will appear. The Avengers will be standing around him. That's my that's my big prediction. I really think this was an 8 to 10 episode season that they then added that more Dis- to. That they, Disney they Plus got up. greedy with. Yeah, that's, okay. that's really what it feels like. I have two hot takes. One is that 
taking that premise and saying, if they would have done that instead of what we got, that probably would be maybe like at minimum top 10 Marvel oh, anything. Yeah. We would have shot it immediately. Two weeks ago, I said we'd be talking about Loki this week because this season drastically dropped it down on my list. <laughs> this last episode saved it from going any lower. Here's my other hot take. I think this is the last that we've seen of Tom Hiddleston. Oh. I think he's done. I would not Done mind. until they throw a truck full of money at him this for is Secret true. Wars. <laughs> this is true. I think he's done. If this is the last that we do see of Loki, I think that would maybe be a little bit of a mistake because we're being deprived a little bit of one of the best actors in the MCU. But hey, they're doing just fine without Robert Downey Jr., right? No? I mean, it's hard. It's really hard to judge them yeah. based on post-Endgame. On the flip side, though, I do think that this is perhaps the best way to end Loki's arc because it shows a level of development. It shows a level of growth. And it just shows that he is changed. And this is his glorious purpose. Or if I were retitling this episode, purpose, purposeful purpose glory, full of glory, like that. Um, <laughs> I got a purpose, got a purpose full of glory. I got it right, and I know that it's all right. Oh, oh, oh! It would not surprise me if Hiddleston was done. Strangely, I would actually be okay with that, despite the yeah. fact that personally, I think it would be a mistake. Hiddleston's great. He absolutely is. I mean, we said it so many times in the first several episodes and even th th through to today, almost every episode, if if not every episode, he is the reason this show exists. You cast someone like Tom Hiddleston, you're crazy not to give him his own showpiece. And he, he knocked it out of the park and him and Owen Wilson have such great chemistry together. What are your thoughts overall on the season? It's tough to judge because I, I like the second half a lot better than the first half. Oh, like even just the second second half of season or episode four, I like episode five better than you. I did like this episode, but I can't help but think episode three, where they're just going from timeline to timeline to try to find Victor Timely. What was the point of, of all of this? Even parts of the second episode where they're looking for Brad. That didn't amount to much of anything either. So... And this is where if you could reconfigure parts of this, you remove Brad, remove Dox and Gamble, don't need them. Hate to say it, B-15 didn't amount to much of anything as well, even though... He could still you, be there, but I mean, in a much reduced capacity. Yeah, same or thing. even with, as, as she is, but like... Yeah, less emphasis. Even Caseyford, to some extent or another... Doesn't yeah. get much to do. I think the only thing of real note that was new this season that I like, Kihuei Kwan, still, yeah. still like Obi as a character. He had some of the funniest moments, and his character was always good to provide context and to provide the science-y yada yada -ing. So mm -hmm. that was that was always a plus. Sylvie was just... Completely wasted. Again, another character. She was there to provide a couple key moments for Loki's arc, but then ultimately everything else she did was just a waste of time. I don't have a problem ultimately with the reduced role then because that just means the focus should be a little bit more on Loki. But then the yeah. problem there is you did such a good job in season one of giving Sylvie a decent arc and also 
this really lets her off the hook. You, you killed he who remained, you created all of these branches, and then your solution is to go to Oklahoma to a McDonald's? Mm-hmm. Dream a little smaller, why don't you? I think we're both much more split on this than the greater general consensus who surprisingly love this more than we did. I feel like the last episode does not make up for a lot of the stuff that was kind of weird from, like you said, episodes two through four-ish. You would throw five in there as well. I wouldn't. Point taken that episodes two, three, and some of four. Yeah. What what are we doing? I will give this show credit. Visually, this show is amazing. And it looks fantastic. I feel like all of of this stuff would not look as good if they didn't give all the people ample time to, to get all this squared away. And I guess the last thing I'll say is that if this is Hiddleston's last ride, this that's 12 years of playing Loki, you know, between Thor, the Avengers, you know, the other two Thor movies and two seasons of Loki and, you know, the brief time that he was in Endgame, the brief time that he was in Infinity War. A long time to be doing this, man, right off into the sunset. You know? I wouldn't blame him. But also, let's hope there's a little Mr. Krabs inside of him because <laughs> everybody likes money. <laughs> Let's move on to our segment, the He Who Remains. I'll take you home and lock you in a nice little cage and never, never, ever let you out. Do you imprison everything you like? Of course. Be so fluffy, I'm gonna die. The Moopsie is Narja's favorite. Moopsie. In this segment, we pick a character from the episode slash season who you would go with past Eliath to get to the Citadel of Time. So, Nick, who is your He Who Remains? I think it's pretty obvious this episode who the he who remains should be. It's Brad. Obviously. (laughs) It's Loki. It is by far his episode. This is Tom Hiddleston's episode to shine, to carry, to stick the landing. He's my he who remains. For the season, Mm -hmm. I don't want to give it to Loki again, but I think I'm going to give it to Ouroboros because at the end of the day, he was the one thing that was new for season two that stood out in every episode he was in as being just a delight. Even though Hiddleston and Owen Wilson did the heavy lifting for this season, it was Kihi Kwan who was the joy amongst the sorrow throughout my my tenure of these last six weeks. Ouroboros, OB, what about you? My my hero remains for the entire season is Loki because... It's the obvious pick. But That's my the he- name of the show. I know. It's so weird. But my he who remains for this is he who remains. And Oh, yeah, that's a good one, actually. The whole thing at the Citadel of Time when Loki is trying to figure out how he can prevent all of this from happening and the conversations that him and Loki have are just great. If you could show someone, it's like, hey, show me what it's like for two people to play chess without having them play chess, show them that scene. Because that is the perfect encapsulation of strategy, of trial and error, of all the things that everybody loves about chess. I will say he who remains is my he who remains for this week. There, There is an element of that he who remains that I, I like that I didn't mention earlier. This, the fact that he's so sure mm-hmm. that he's, he's found the perfect person to pass the torch off to he found this guy who's selfish enough 
that he would never do this third thing. He will either kill Sylvie and join him by his side. Fulfill your destiny. Or he will do the other thing that will eventually lead him to realizing that he has to kill Sylvie and join him by his side. He who remains never in a million years thought that Loki would be the one to make the sacrificial play and crawl over the wires and let the other guy crawl on him. You see that? I See what I did there? I understood that reference. I really like how Loki was able to play him. And you're right. That's a, that's a chess match move right there. Loki was able to outwit He Who Remains. That's going to do it for He Who Remains. Let's move on to our next segment, the Sacred Timeline. You know, my pep pep always said, if you want to do something right, you make a list. It's making a list. I'll put it on the list. It's quite an impressive list. Thank you. In this segment, Nick and I are going to do the impossible task of ranking our favorite MCU movies. We will then collectively rank them in one unified list. No branches, no variants. Only the MCU proper. So today we will be ranking nine through one. We're finally here. And the next episode, we will be figuring out our joint list together. So Nick, what is your number nine? My number nine is Shang-Chi. I love, 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 love 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 this freaking movie it's so much fun i had a blast i would say the only negative i have about it is the end third act giant dragon cgi army battle thing but even that was super fun and the way that shang chi beats the dragon is super cool and the emotional payoff with him and his dad yep. it's it's a great villain they managed to somehow pull a Trevor Slattery win out of their ass. Oh no, facile, try it. I couldn't agree more. After Iron Man 3, no one liked that. And now suddenly he's a charming idiot. Who yeah. is a delight. They also somehow managed to make a faceless butt fairy thing look cute and adorable. But overall, Simu Lu is just... Yes. Oh, what does Mariner say? Big old hunk of ham steak. Aside from the fact that he's a gorgeous human being, he's so good. He's a great leading man. He's funny. He is awesome at these fight scenes. Like, yes, you cast the finally Marvel was able to cast a person who can do his own fight scene choreography and they can actually film it without a thousand jump cuts to the action this was the best filmed action movie in the mcu hands down there is not a single one better i defy you to find me a better action fight scene in any of the other marvel movies that have come before or after it it is so freaking awesome the sequence at the beginning of this with the who eventually becomes his wife that sequence of those two yes of, is perfect they're breakdance fighting it was i wouldn't even say it's breakdance fighting no i know i say that in jest it's just, it is a great way to encapsulate and to show two people meeting and like falling in love with one another through dance it's yeah. expertly done it's ballet-esque and i loved it i want more stuff like that. The only other thing that I kind of like eh on is that I was not a huge fan of uh, Abomination in this. It's like, oh, the Abomination scene? Oh, that was. Wait, what are we doing? Wong. And, had and then, Wong in there somehow. And that uh, that's kind of my <laughs> other thing as well. It's like, is Wong our new Agent Coulson? I didn't mind Aquafina in this. 
But I also really liked the relationship between between Shang-Chi and Aquafina as well. And representation matters. And this is one that was was really great. It is wild, absolutely wild to me that we have not seen him since. We should already have Shang-Chi 2 at this point. His movie came out in 2021. It's been two years. An announcement of the second movie would be nice. Also, Michelle Yeoh, Michelle Yeoh, my Star Trek homie, Captain and Emperor Jojo, is amazing. I love Michelle Yeoh. Your instincts are correct. My number nine is No Way Home. And oh, that's super high. Okay. It's, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's a lot higher than yours. So honestly, No Way Home was higher for me for a while. And then thinking back to all the criticism that I laid at Avengers Endgame, I I can't, I got to take No Way Home to task a little bit for that. For me, I think what I like about No Way Home is this is the way that you try to incorporate other people from various timelines and it, it still works. I thought Andrew Garfield stole this movie. Absolutely Agreed. stole this movie. There's just so many moments for him. Like the moment where he flicks off his mask at Ned's Lola's house or whatever, um, the theater audibly gasped. Why'd you do that? I was trying to see if he has the tingle thing. I have the tingle thing, just not for bread. Can you not throw the, the bread again? That's when I looked at everybody and was like, where the hell have you all been? Like, this has been rumored. Well, it's been rumored. It was rumored. Nobody actually knew. We were all sitting there with our breath held. There is actually going to happen. There is no way. Everyone cheered in my auditor. It was like an endgame opening night cheer. And here's the thing. Garfield got more reaction than Tobey Maguire. Now you got it. Okay, Peter 1, Peter 2, Peter 2, Peter 3. Peter three. Yes, he did. And he did. I liked Tobey Maguire in this, but the the scene that got me the most is the part when MJ falls down and I had hoped that Garfield would be the one to save her. That moment I got choked up on. Yeah. Not not because he learned from his mistake, but the way that he he reacts to it where he is like i'm happy that i saved you but i hate what it cost me to learn this lesson yeah and it was the catharsis he needed and it was the redemption he needed they gave andrew garfield an arc in no way home and it wasn't even his movie like that's how great he was in it yeah it's a one of my only positives of that movie is i love what they did for him Roll around Crawl around? Yes. No. Yes, crawl around. Why do I need to crawl around? Because it's not enough. I think the big difference between you and I when it comes to No Way Home is that whereas you see adding all of these extra villains from all these other multi multiverses is a huge problem. The only thing that I'll disagree with is that, look, I love Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. It would be nice to see what the MCU's version of Norman Osborn would have been. But the only problem that I would have had with that is we're doing Green Goblin again. But I mean, think about it this way. If we get another three Spider-Man movies and this next trilogy of Spider-Man movies built up to Green Goblin being the final ultimate big bad at that point it would have been like 20 30 years almost since the last time we got green goblin like it wouldn't have been again 
Because uh, he wasn't in, he was only in the first one. The Dane DeHaan became a weird version oh, I, of Green Green Goblin. All right, fine, fine, fine. That one's on me. I forgot about Dane DeHaan's Green Goblin. No we offense. Get Green Goblin again. That's completely fair, but I'm more okay. Like, I thought Willem Dafoe was great in this. That scene where Peter's punching his face off and his That's... smile is only getting more and more maniacal. That's is... some Joker stuff. How right did he not get... I mean, I know how he didn't get... Like, he should have received some awards consideration with that performance. He was phenomenal <laughs> in this movie. Like, even, even the Doc Ock... Part, which I'm a big fan of Raimi's version of Doc Ock, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I would have been fine if they would have gotten another crack at Doc Ock. I did not like the Venom Stinger at the end. I was mm-hmm. not a huge, not a huge fan of that because they're both on a collision course with one another at this point. I laughed at it. I feel like they did it just to get the symbiote, the piece of the symbiote to stay behind because they, they, the they showed. Yeah. But but again, breaking their own rules. That doesn't make any sense because he sent back all the people that knew mm-hmm. and the symbiote knew. So mm-hmm. therefore, that little piece should have also zapped back. But whatever. Movie's and got a movie, I guess. The Daredevil cameo, I did like. It made I sense. It. I'm okay with this version of Peter Parker getting another version of With Great Power Comes Great Responsibility. I thought the aunt, like, I didn't think they had the stones to kill Aunt May. Because oh, now, no, now, right? now Peter's alone. Like, just straight up alone. And now he's even more alone because everybody now doesn't know who this guy is. First of all, that spell is bullshit. Like, it's it's a total ridiculous spell. Sure is. But this is going to be the thing that would probably cause it to become lower on my list is how the MCU finds a way around this in the future Mm, is, is going to inform a lot. When will people wake up and realize that everywhere Spider-Man goes, chaos and calamity ensue? J. Jonah Jameson reporting. What's your number eight? Well, it's my turn now to mention one that you had super low. And I'm almost willing to bet you forgot about this one. This is where I have Ant-Man and the Wasp. (laughs) Which you had low all the the way down. At an absolutely ridiculous placing of 42. Yep. Okay. Sell it to me. Go ahead. Because we're, I, this this is probably our biggest disparity. It, it is. We're need this one's this is the one that's gonna be the hardest one to place on this joint list. The reason I have it so high is because I truly believe this is the funniest MCU movie. It it is truly a comedy thing. I, I comedy is subjective. Everybody knows this. You laugh at things. I laugh at things. We we laugh at different things. And in this case, I laughed my ass off all the way through this movie and every subsequent time I have watched it. Paul Rudd gets me. He just gets me so much. But not even just Paul Rudd. His buddies. The the dude whose name I can't pronounce. David Dust. You know, yes, that guy. That, guy. that yes. guy who they for some reason didn't bring back for the freaking third movie and they just had him they, voice that weird holes guy they didn't bring most of them back and we gave them back yeah i L- Luis. oh my god i to this day when people ask my daughter a question and she goes off i look at them and i go you put a nickel in you gotta let the whole song play 
Mm -hmm. Because that is one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in my life. We use an Ant-Man and the Wasp quote in our uh, in our list making segment. Because my papap always said, you got to do something, you make a list. <laughs> like Everything that Paul Rudd says in this movie is just so funny. What's it like out there? People still dance? Are food trucks still a thing? And the fact that they leaned into the goofy just tripled it for me. It's everything that I didn't get out of Ant-Man 1. They didn't want people to think this was ridiculous because I remember at the time they were concerned that no one was going to take Ant-Man seriously. And I mean, Ant-Man 2, they didn't take him seriously. And it just worked so much better. The matchbox car, the freaking building. And then in the building, it's like, honey, I shrunk the kids. and They're using giant versions of everything to run the place the ants i honestly the only negative i have about the movie is the the ghost stuff i think it works and it serves its, its purpose but it is ultimately it's just a small a part to yeah it's just a di movie. it's in a different movie it's from a different movie that's all that whole ghost arc doesn't belong i got away with it this time scott but uh i'll be seeing you again where where will you be seeing me again? Randall Park is so funny in this movie. And he's doing a thing that in most movies I hate. Like, in general, I'll see, like, the next time you do something bad, I'll be there. Oh, catch you. You'll be watching in that to, Yeah, to how you were inviting me somewhere. I hate it when there's just this random guy who's just, he's a, he's a comedian or he's funny in real life. And so they just let him riff. And in this, it totally works because Randall Park is so damn endearing and he's so funny. Why would I do that? That's what I was wondering. Why would you do that? I, I, like a party or like dinner or something? I don't know. I thought you were no, no, planning the you, evening. No, I meant to like arrest no, you. I'll arrest strange. you later again. Take it easy. Okay. And him and Paul Rudd have such a great chemistry together. The whole close-up magic thing just slays me every time. Every time I watch this movie, I laugh my butt off. And I just, I can't bring myself to drop it any lower. You sure as hell are not getting this at number eight on our joint list. Well, I know you like No Way Home a whole lot. So I think I have some leverage. Oh, okay. <laughs> leverage. All right, cool. One thing that I will agree with you on uh, this is that um, Randall Park's character is great. And the close-up magic thing pays off in WandaVision. Did you want to grab dinner or something? I mean, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight, my number eight, Shang-Chi. If different is the barometer that kind of we measure a lot of this stuff on, this, yes, it is rightfully so that this should be in the top 10 because it is different. And Agreed. that is good. So uh, what's your number seven? This is where I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I really love this movie. It's actually currently my number one movie of this year. It is just so much fun. It's funny. It's super emotional. It's heartfelt. I totally understand why some people don't like it. The whole body horror thing, the animal yeah. abuse. I get that. That makes 100% sense to me. I would not begrudge anybody for not liking it for those reasons. Just for me, everything about the movie sings. It's different and weird. It's very James Gunn. It's very MCU. It it fits with the other uh, Guardians movies. It feels like the perfect ending to a chapter in the MCU franchise and the rocket stuff. 
I, yeah. I absolutely love everything they did with Rocket. Makes me cry every single time I see it. It is wonderful. Your number oh. seven. My number Wait. seven. My yeah. number seven is Thor Ragnarok. I think this is up there with the MCU's funniest. It definitely has a lot of its funny moments. It's the Taika Waititi humor that just gets me. And one thing that you largely talked about, all the things that I love about this, the only other thing that I'll add to this is that I think one of the best side characters that gets introduced in this movie is Korg. I saw this movie with my wife and she died during the parts (laughs) that Korg was talking because number one, it's Taika Waititi himself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't get it. What do you find so funny about this? And she said that it's very New Zealand humor. She appreciated it. And because of that, that enhanced my viewing experience. And I like it. I thought they did Korg dirty in Thor Love and Thunder. Thunder. He was awful in Love and Thunder. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Everyone was was awful in Love and Thunder, though. Yes. But I thought he was a great side character in this. Even had, like, a cool moment in, in Endgame as well. Like when Korg oh, yeah. enters in in Endgame, it was like, oh, this is cool. I agree with you. I think it's the second funniest movie in Marvel. Oh, okay. It's the second. I'm number one. You're number two. What is your number six? My number six. This one, I actually feel bad about having it at number six because it's so good, but it's also so simple. And I know I feel confident that you have it pretty high as well because we haven't talked about it yet. And that is Iron Man, the very first Iron Man. It is the one that started it all. It is like pretty much a perfect movie. I said in my letterboxed review of the Marvels that I feel like the Marvels turned out good by accident because they made a short, fun movie that is an adventure that gets to the point, but maybe they got lucky. I think they need to do it on purpose. And I think Iron Man is them doing it on purpose. They made a short, fun, breezy movie that has enough heart and a powerful punch emotionally at certain scenes, but also is super energetic and funny And it's the reason that we're even talking about all of this today. Mm -hmm. And like I said, having it at six feels even still too low. I will always have it up there. It's probably solidified at number six for me. I don't Mm -hmm. think I'll ever put anything above it or below it. And if I do put something above it, I'll probably bump Endgame down. My number six is Black Panther. And Black Panther, same reasons for representation. Black Panther has the best soundtrack of anything in the MCU. And I think that is something that the MCU is grossly missing is good soundtracks. Let's go back to the days of the 90s where we have good soundtracks and all that stuff. I think Ryan Coogler (laughs) was a great director in all of this. You'll notice in the rest of my movies, there's there's usually like a couple lines in a movie that just have like a really good effect on me. And I forgive a lot of the bad CGI with the rhinos and the bad CGI with Killmonger and Black Panther fighting against one another. The line that gets me in this is Killmonger at the end when he's like, Just bury me in the ocean. My ancestors that jumped from the ships, they knew death. Better than bondage. Yeah. Oh, that's 
such a good line. Such a good line. Acting is solid in this. And again, just watching this breaks my heart for what happened to Chadwick Boseman. I even don't mind the Andy Circus in this. Andy Circus. Don't mind. Andy Circus was amazing in this. What are you talking and, about? No, no, no. Like, there's an argument out there that says Andy Circus is kind of just like an ancillary character. Oh, uh, he kind of got done dirty. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I'll Andy, agree with that. Yeah. Andy Circus looks like he's having a blast. Oh yeah, he looks. He's having so much fun. What's your number five, and what do you love about Endgame? Uh, yeah, Endgame is my number five. And uh, the reason it's my number five is going to become very apparent when we get to my number four. I just absolutely love Infinity War and Endgame so much. They are just amazing. They're like the perfect one-two punch of 10 years of movies that we just enjoyed going to see over and over again. And I can't not get chills remembering that experience from the theater, that opening night crowd when the hammer lifts and it's Captain America who had it, who gets it. We went nuts. But then aside from the fact that we all went nuts because of how great of a moment it was, building up to that from Cap 1 to Winter Soldier to Ultron to Cat 3, every time this man appeared on screen was just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more so that when he picks up that hammer... It's not like a fan service moment. It's like they earned it 100%. When everyone comes out of those portals, the feelings you feel when he says Avengers Assemble, another moment that they could have given it to us before now. This is the fourth Avengers movie, and this is the first time we're hearing Avengers Assemble. They held it back because they knew they wanted to use it right. The Avengers score that they they had in the first movie, they tweaked in the second movie, but then brought back for Infinity War and they're using again here. Like, it's just chills down the block. I get choked up watching the portal scene every single time. And then just, I know that a lot of people don't like the beginning of the movie because it's kind of slow leading up. I really enjoy the whole time heist thing, the incorporation of Ant-Man, especially after how much I liked uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I like how he comes back. I think it's silly that a rat lets him out. Like, that's fun. But the uh, just just the whole movie, I think it's the perfect second chapter to Infinity War. And it's it's perfect. It's the perfect ending to this Infinity, Infinity saga. saga. And again, that's the hero gig. Part of the journey is the end. I'm going to be 3,000. So what's your number five? This is where we're going to have another, not a huge disparity, but at least one that we're going to have to reconcile because this is where I have Doctor Strange. Hey, I like Doctor Strange. Tell me why you love Doctor Strange. I think visually it's amazing. We live in a world where a lot of people are trying to copy what Inception did. And I think incorporating those Inception elements in the MCU were really cool. I think the downfall of Mordo is a great, story turn and i am just very curious to see how they're going to find a way to incorporate this the dormammu scene is fantastic but for me again there's usually like one line in some of these movies that gets to me and the part for dr strange that gets to me 
that I think we've heard this line said in different ways in all the other ones, but the one in Doctor Strange packs the most punch is when the Ancient One and him are having that conversation and she's like, you're forgetting one very critical thing that you're just missing from all of this. And he's like, yeah, what's that? And he, she says, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that kind of ultimately like shifts his focus. I got chills when I heard that line. And that is something that all of these heroes have had to figure out at some point or another. But Doctor Strange, unfortunately, is the one that has to have it told to him because he's that much of an asshole. Yeah, about he is. I think Tilda Swinton is an underrated part of the MCU as the ancient one. It's precisely what kept you from greatness. It's not about you. So that's my number five. What is your number four? I let the cat out of the bag on this one too. This is where I have Infinity War. I think Infinity War and Endgame are a one-two punch. They're a movie. They're they're like a single movie. I know they're two movies, but to me, you can't have one without the other. When ranking them, I think Infinity War is just slightly better than Endgame in the sense that it is a more complete movie. You can watch Infinity War on its own, but I kind of feel like I need to watch Infinity War to watch Endgame. I don't just toss Endgame on because Endgame is the perfect conclusion. But Infinity War is really Thanos' story. And I really love how it ends. I was begging at the end of that movie for him to snap his fingers. I'm like, he has to. And then he did. And I was like, oh, good. I'm a monster. It's the perfect ending to that story. Everything in it from start to finish, the way that it opens, the the conflict with Thor, the way that it juggles all of these characters Mm -hmm. and just expertly. So there are moments where you don't even see certain characters for almost an hour. Mm -hmm. But then when they come back, it's like they never even left. Yeah. And they get to the part where they're all getting ready for Thanos's or Thanos's army in one way or another. And there's still like an hour and 10 minutes of the movie left. Mm-hmm. And from the moment Thanos walks out of that portal onto Titan and confronts Doctor Strange to the oh. very end, it is yes. non-stop. Actually, and I love every minute of it. Actually, you go back a little bit further, even from when they get to Wakanda. It's back a little bit of ways. And you want to know why? Because I just rewatched it today. It's I mean, the whole movie is nonstop and it's got some of the funniest lines in it. It's got some of the funniest Spider-Man lines. Like I just I love the interactions, especially in that very beginning when when he shows up in the park. And him and Tony are bantering. And there's just so many great little everythings. Ah, uh, he's from space. He came here to steal a necklace from a wizard. What is your number four? My number four is the Avengers, the original, the Avengers. Okay. If this movie does not work, we do not have an MCU. Like we just don't. I am a little conflicted because some of the Joss Whedon humor doesn't play as well anymore. His humor doesn't really. It doesn't age well. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's still funny, though. I still enjoy it. And the way that they pair up some of these characters, unfortunately, you have to kind of pair up Hawkeye and Scarlett Johansson as the non-super people 
who have to just be relegated to, well, you're regular people. So you're, you're third in line. Sorry about that. Why are you here? <laughs> and even Hawkeye himself even calls this out in age of Ultron is like, mm -hmm. okay, the, the city's flying. We're fighting an army of robots. Navajo and arrow. None of this makes sense. I'm glad he got to it then instead of getting to it. You know, when that's because he was, he was mind washed bad guy in the first movie, <laughs> which Poor guy. <laughs> I, I think I think they made a smart decision by having Loki be the villain of this because if you would have started with somebody new, I think that just would have been too much to, yeah. to build up to. And plus you have the connection with Thor as well. And this was back in the day when they, they still made Thor too serious, but they started to loosen him up. Yes. Yeah. Like the line where they're on the helipad he killed 80 people in two days. He's adopted. That's that's where you start to see it. it's like Chris Hemsworth, he's got some comedic chops. He's not just he shouting does. and all that stuff. He's it was the a perfect side character, Thor. Yes. Like that's that's what I like about this movie is that they showed off their leading character strengths. Tony and Cap are kind of the main characters, but like the rest of them get to be side characters. And they work so well as side characters, too. I do not care how many times I saw that damn trailer and that scene uh, that spins around with all of them in a group like that. I don't care how many times I see that. I still get chills. Me, see, too. It's so but good. Part of it is the mu the music. Oh, so yeah. Because when they do that spin around in Endgame, they don't play the Avengers music. They pl they're playing different music. And my brain like goes, yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't like it. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's wrong. There's a lot to to love about the Avengers. And that's one where I just remember seeing it. And I was just on the edge of my seat. The last act, pretty much when they get to New York, that battle of New York will go down as one of the best scenes from any Avengers movie. And it, the ending of it, is great because all this crap that they gave Tony was like, hey, you're you're not the guy who's going to take the hit and make that sacrifice. Like, oh, yes, he will. And just you wait. He eventually does for the greater good. See, they set it up here and paid it off in Endgame. Endgame is amazing. Yeah, the, the Avengers is great. I don't want this to sound corny, but the Avengers for me... It's as close to a, a dream come true for me as a movie lover and a comic lover as I think I've ever gotten in a movie. This could have not worked in so many ways. And for it to work as much as it did is just a testament to how great of a movie is. There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. What is your number three? Yes, my number three is WandaVision. This is... We've said it a hundred times now. Different will always win out the day. And this is not only different, but it is the most cool creative idea possibly ever. Episodes are based on old TV sitcoms. I was in heaven. I, the Dick Van Dyke one, the Bewitched, those two back to back. Oh my God. I loved them so much. In fact, the Bewitched one, I know a lot of people say that the Bewitched one is not as good. That one's like my favorite one. Like episode two, I think is just the, 
the perfect encapsulation of what this show is and what it could be. And then it only just got more crazy and zany from there. The fact that they toss in that episode midway that gives us more of Monica's story, it's so well-paced. And if you ignore all of the internet banter and the speculations from week to week and you just take the show as it was presented, it's just so good. And it leaves Wanda in such a great place. And that costume they give her, oh, the Scarlet Witch costume is so cool. And then vision in it is great. And what ends up being is just super emotional. I think my only negative of the entire show is the fact that Billy and Tommy were her kids for like a week. And then the way that she pines for them in Multiverse of Madness. Just that's the only thing that rings a little false. I understand going through that emotional, psychological trauma, but at the at the same time, it's just a little like, all right, I mean, you made them up a week ago. That was I would have hoped that this took place more over a longer period of time, but they do make it kind of clear like this is like a, a 10 days max. That's how long it was. But I don't know. There's just so much there to love. And I just I think that it was like a perfect show. This is lower on my list because we didn't get Mephisto. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, honestly, that is that is one of those things where it's just like, oh, man, I bet you they're kicking themselves so hard for not having gone to a tease at least. Like, tease it out a little because mm. it would make total sense with Agatha being a witch. Her boss would be the devil, right? Like, Right? Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Just tease it a little. But oh well, what are you gonna do? But I mean, and that whole episode where she's going through her trauma in the past, and that leads to the the epic line. What is grief if not love persevering? That's just so wonderful mm-hmm. to have it in this Marvel show with two obscure characters who were barely background in two other movies mm-hmm. that, that they were given their own spotlight and that's that's what these these tv shows should have always been giving these side characters their chance to shine in a format that allowed for you to tell a full story you imagine if halfway through wandavision they were like nope split it into two seasons and add seven more episodes like but keep the story as is like Mm -hmm. i mean it would have completely ruined the show. And I really wish that they had been brave enough to say, you know what? Falcon the Winter Soldier probably only needs four episodes. You know what? Loki should probably be 10. Moon Knight, make it seven. Like, like, I wish they had had the gall to just be different and tell the story in the time frame that they wanted to and not stick to a format. Like, Yep. And WandaVision, I feel, is the one that the only one that they did. Yes, I would have to agree with that. And that's why it is my number three favorite MCU. What's your number three? My number three is Iron Man. And I give Iron Man a lot of credit for being the first. But I don't it's not just because it was the first. It was because it was good. And it also happened. And it was the, the first. Yes. Robert Downey Jr. might be the greatest casting of anyone in the <laughs> MCU. Like, it's it's not even close. Like, he was perfect for the role. Yeah, he sure was. 
I think his character arc in this is really great with him being kidnapped. That was really good. I think his side character that doesn't get talked about enough about his impact is Jensen. The mark that he leaves is just like, Move with me, come on, we got a plan, we gotta stick to it. The impact he has on Tony throughout is remarkable. There's so much that this sets up that doesn't pay off until later on. And that's that's great because I don't even think that anybody involved in this thought that this was going to do as well as it did. And Uh, uh, Word on the street is they were doing rewrites as they were filming it. Mm -hmm. So this movie should have been a colossal disaster. But it wasn't, and it's great. I also don't think John Favreau gets enough credit for the direction. He's he's great in this, and he's pulling double duty as Happy Hogan. Let me tell you something. You know what happened when I told people it was Iron Man's bodyguard that left in my face? That's my number three. So what's your what's your number two? My number two is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Me I two. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we did uh, it. We did only one tonight. So only one tonight. But hey, you know what? <laughs> this is a we, good one to have at the same good place. One. It is realistically, it's probably the best movie that Marvel has ever made. I obviously it's only our number twos, but pound for pound, it probably is the best. It's not my favorite, but it is the best movie that they have ever made. It is solid from start to finish. It is a magic trick of balancing five characters in a adventure story, a space adventure story. It Everyone says it, it is. It is like a Star Wars. It's like exactly what you would want to see in a Star Wars movie. Groot, Rocket, amazing introductions. They are so funny in this movie. And they also pack that emotional punch, too, when Groot sacrifices him at the end. Rocket loves Groot and Rocket's pain in Groot dying. Like, I feel for Rocket because I care about both of these characters. I could just run down the list of all the, like, Yondu, his his relationship with Peter, the comedy throughout. Like, everybody is just firing on all cylinders, just saying funny shit left and right. The music is music. amazing. Music is great in this this has Quill's first scene, just him dancing mm-hmm. to come and get your love is great. And also it pays off because in Endgame, they go back to that scene and they're just in like, Endgame. So he's an idiot. Yeah. That was probably my biggest laugh in Endgame. Mm-hmm. When that happened and they cut the music and it's just him go, come and get your love. Mm-hmm. I lost it because four years i watched that movie for four years never once considered that nobody outside of his headphones could hear the music so he was just an idiot in the cave singing (laughs) and dance (laughs) that's so funny i only have one knock on this movie and the villain is meh that's that's it agreed but the reason why this is so high is because i think to this day this is marvel's biggest risk that they ever took. Yes, it was. And the fact that it worked as well. Bravo. In every way. The cast. Yeah. The characters. The director. Like, mm-hmm. what James Gunn, what did he do before this? Super? Was his last movie before this one? 
I think so. Yeah. Like that movie. Have you seen Super? It's dark. Yeah, it's it dark. is. It's dark. <laughs> it's dark as hell. Like, and, and even if it wasn't that, it was Slither. And that movie also. Like, the fact that they gave this dude a movie in a giant franchise like this. Like, that's such a huge risk. Everything about this movie was a risk. It was a risk that worked mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well. Like I said, I think it might be their best movie. It's probably. the one I probably have rewatched the most. I would definitely have to agree with that. This this one is probably the one that I have rewatched the most because it's got literally everything that I could ever want in a movie. And also, I did not think Chris Pratt could pull this off because I only oh, knew yeah. Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec. It also That's- led to one of the funniest jokes in Parks and Rec, the explanation of why of Andy is suddenly so in shape. How he got I'm, all of his that out. one kills me. So the only thing you did was stop drinking beer? Yeah, I lost 50 pounds in one month. How much beer were you drinking? <laughs> I know, right? Probably too much. <laughs> so I did. So that Tell brings me, us to our number ones. Tell me why you, sh- you think The Avengers is the best MCU movie. Well, you kind of said it. This movie was like a dream come true. This was probably the first time I ever walked into a movie with such high expectations. It was almost certain to fail. I put it up on such a pedestal because it had never been done before. The the idea of taking these separate superheroes and putting them all in a movie together. Like we all said, you know, like, wouldn't it be cool if Tobey Maguire showed up in an X-Men movie as Spider-Man? Because we grew up with the X-Men animated series and the Spider-Man animated series. And there was that crossover where Spider-Man goes to see Professor X and the X-Men. And they would do shit like that all the time. So it's like, in my head, the cartoons doing it was the stepping stone. The next step to take would be to do it in live action. And I mean, as kids, I would say to my brother stuff like, wouldn't it be cool if one day they made like an X-Men movie that was live action with real people and they could like figure out a way to make it look real? That would be the coolest thing. And I must have been like seven when I said this. So then cut to 15 years later. And I'm walking into a movie theater where not only have they now made live action versions of the cartoons that I loved and the comics that I read, but now they've taken individual characters from different movies and they're putting them in a movie together and they're saying all these movies are connected and your love of expanded universes is now going to be fully realized on the big screen in every way that you can imagine. This movie... The fact that I even liked this movie is a miracle. And when I walked out of it, I was in love with it. Like, it blew me away. I couldn't have even imagined liking a movie any more than this movie. And only one other movie has done it to me since, and that's Spider-Man Into the Mm Spider-Verse. So, like, those two movies are top tier for me. And The Avengers is just, it's a dream come true, like you said. I have an army. We have a Hulk. I have a much easier time than a lot of people separating the art from the artist. So the Joss Whedon of it all, I do not discount it's, it. I love the way he writes for these characters. It feels unique. Like if you go back and you watch the Avengers one compared to every other time these characters appear, they talk different. They have a different cadence. The lines that they say are said with a little bit more like pomp. Mm. 
like when Loki talks to Captain America in front of the crowd, those two never interact with any other characters in any in that way ever again after this movie. But it works here. And it feels like because it's the first time these characters are all coming together, it really did feel like you were reading pages of a comic book on screen that kind of got lost after this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I really attribute that to Joss Whedon's writing. He has a very particular style that just shines through here. And it's just a style that I dig. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've always really appreciated that about this movie in particular. And then the whole that sweeping one shot yes, of them I... fighting. It is by today's standards. Now it feels like who cares? Mm-hmm. Just. Every from the start to the finish, it is just a magical movie moment that should be studied. And the wildness that they almost didn't even have it in the movie and that he had to fight to keep it because they wanted to cut it because they didn't know if it worked. And I'm just like, oh, my God, thank God it worked. Thank God it was there, because I think that's the that's the moment of the movie that I think most people then realize, like, Holy shit, this is something special. Even though I had a higher high the night we saw Endgame, just the way I felt watching the Avengers the first time and every time after that was just so special to me that it will always and forever be my number one. Favorite superhero movie, Ooh. asterisk live action. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's my favorite. So we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. So why is Infinity War your favorite MCU movie? If we set aside two two things about this that I am very much on the fence about, I don't think Marvel knows what to do with its Infinity Stones because the use of them doesn't make a lick of sense. And the fact that Thanos is almost too powerful. However, I love so much about this because most everybody gets a strong arc. Mm-hmm. And... I think that it was inspired that Marvel had the stones to do this. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, that was completely intentional. <laughs> the way that that ended and just it didn't really sink in for me that much until Doctor Strange disappeared. Like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh. And then, oh, man, I lost it when Peter got dusted. And it's just like. Say, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then his last thing that he says to Tony is, I'm sorry. It's like, oh, oh, that no wonder Iron Man wants to fix this. I think all the people who say that in Infinity Wars, half a movie is insane are, are ridiculous. Yeah, um, they're absolutely insane. I know for me, this was the movie that I was confident that, okay, if we're moving on to this new phase, the new the new face of the MCU should be Black Panther because yep. the the way that he just carries himself and he's he's like Captain America in so many different ways or in so many ways but he's also different because you know he's a king he he's got you know deep cultural roots and things like that I his love responsibility that. set is different his yes. outlook on life is different but they ultimately both want the same thing. That's what makes them both such great characters. And this is one where I think whereas Civil War struggled with balancing a lot of the 
the characters, I'm very shocked that this didn't str struggle in the same way. I think the opening scene to this with Thor and the Asgard stuff, mm -hmm. I think that was fantastic. That is the best way to do that. And I also kind of buy that if there's going to be anything that causes the Hulk not to want to transform, it's it's this. And mm -hmm. that's when you know it's like, oh, this guy is serious. This is one that just from just a filmmaking standpoint, from balancing everything and just the way that it ends. Although we just both said that it's that Guardians of the Galaxy is Marvel's best movie. I think this is the one that is probably the best quality. It's definitely ambitious. Mm -hmm. I think this is the stepping stone of ambition. They they figured out Avengers. They figured out Guardians of the Galaxy. And they said, what if Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy? And that's Infinity War. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, like, the action set pieces, they're all different in their own unique ways. The only reason this one is not higher for me is just the emotional catharsis comes in Endgame for me rather than in Infinity War. When they all get dusted, I don't, like, I don't understand the argument that I'm upset because I know that the characters don't know. And I'm just like, that for some reason doesn't like trump me knowing that in a year from now, I'm going to see this resolved. And yeah. that they just killed off the biggest newcomers on the block. There's a certain level of disbelief that I can't suspend in order to feel emotional. But when they all come back, that's when it hits me. It's a perfect favorite movie i do not begrudge anyone infinity war as their favorite should have gone for the head. but that's it we did it that's, we did it we did it we made it to the <laughs> end so that is our sacred timeline so nick what do we have coming up next next up in your feed we will have a special holiday treat for you we will be doing a temperature check on the newest mcu entry the marvels and for the first time, we will have a very special guest joining us. The week after that, we will come back to do our combined rankings for the official GSLTN MCU ranking. And we will be able to add the Marvels in there as well. And then that'll end our, our current run of Marvel stuff for a little bit. Uh, we're going to kick off December with Star Wars Ahsoka. And that'll be in your podcast feed the very first week of December. Look forward to that. Since we're only doing one a week, we're going to try and get uh, Wednesday as our official podcast launching day. So keep an eye out on Wednesdays from now on. Until next time, please like, subscribe, sit forevermore on a throne designed to protect the entire multiverse and share the podcast. Don't forget to also rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. Also, you can find us on social media. I'm on Blue Sky Twitter and Letterboxd at Jagged2319. I'm on Instagram threads, Blue Sky, and serialized at MLHilty2452. You can also contact the show at GeekSpeakLouder at gmail.com or on Blue Sky by searching GeekSpeakLouder the Nerds. Join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at GeekSpeakLoud because the er, it was just too many characters for Elon Musk. Until next time, I'm Mike Hilty. And I'm Nick Farrow. Thank you for tuning in to Geeks Speak Louder Than Nerds. Bye, everybody. Catchphrase.
no, I made his lever going. <laughs> 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 All right.